0: Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. All of you joining us by way of video, our friends in Perry, Oklahoma. Oklahoma has had a very, very difficult two weeks now, I think. Uh, We love you. You're in our prayers, and uh, we're always thinking about you. Uh, Glad to have you with us. Galatians chapter 1, I want to talk very simply this morning about the gospel. I want to talk about what it means to be saved, what it means to be in a right relationship with God. Unfortunately, this is something that ought to be clear, especially for folks who sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but it's simply not always clear. I talked to a man a while back, an older man, and I was asking him if he were a believer, if you were a Christian. He said, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, when I was a little boy, I walked the aisle and I shook the preacher's hand. Oh my goodness. That's the story? I mean that's it, you put all of your confidence for the the fate of your eternal soul, you put that in a preacher's hand? One night years ago, Paul and Silas had been arrested for preaching about Jesus, and they were thrown in a jail in a city called Philippi. Before the guards left them, they beat them, beat them severely, and they left them bleeding and bruised and in chains. That night about midnight, according to the Bible, they began to sing and praise God, which uh, is really a miracle in itself when you think about it, that they were singing and praising God at midnight so loud that everybody in the jail could hear. And the scripture says in the middle of the night, God took that jail in his hand and shook it. There was an earthquake, apparently just at the jail. He shook it. And it shook until all of the bars were open and all of the chains were loosened and fell off of every single prisoner. It would have perhaps been a great jailbreak moment but that's not what happened. The guard who was uh, on duty that night knew that if the prisoners escaped he would be killed so he immediately assumed that they were all gone. And, and the story goes that he, 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 he took a sword and was about to take his own life. He assumed that he was a dead man. But right before he could plunge that knife into his own heart, Paul said, no wait, no wait, we're all here. We're here. We're all right here. Don't harm yourself. And the man with the knife to his heart said, what must I do to be saved? That amazing question at an amazing moment, what must I do to be saved? In that evening, he must have heard Paul and Silas singing. He must have heard them praising God. He must have known they had something he did not have. And now he's asking the question of all questions, what must I do to be saved? And when a man's got a knife to his own throat, a knife to his own heart, you don't have a lot of time to explain. So Paul gives him the gospel in the most briefest form possible. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Understand? There may be a little more to it, but not much more than that because that's all you need to know. And Paul didn't have a lot of time to preach a sermon. You understand? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that night the jailer. Gave his heart to Jesus and was saved. You understand, he asked that question of all questions and Paul gave the answer of all answers. It's so simple and yet you and I constantly, constantly make it somehow more difficult. Galatians chapter 1, Paul is talking now to a church in a city called Galatia where he preached the gospel, the very, very simple gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. But since he's been gone, there were other preachers who came behind him and they preached sort of Paul's gospel, but they added to it. They added to the gospel of Jesus. They added their own stuff, which nobody gets to do, but they did. So now Paul has this horrible, horrible job of trying to bring the Galatians back to what the gospel is. And as we read his words to them, maybe they'll become words to us. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. He's already preaching. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of gospel than the one we preach to you. I say it again with what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other gospel than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Have you ever needed to tell someone that you cared about that they were wrong? Now, Some of us are better at this than others of us. My wife's good at this. The other night, we're at a restaurant and uh, we're at Shake Rag and Boulder Green, it's awesome. We're at Shake Rag and, uh, and I was eating and we were there with other people and I was just <laughs> I was just talking and laughing. And, and y'all know me, I was just sort of uh, all, all over the place. And, and Casey texts me, my wife is awesome, she texts me, she texts, check your teeth. <laughs> okay, I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to do that, but now I just don't even want to show my teeth. You understand? Apparently, I had something from lunch left right here. Yeah, she's good. She's good. Check your teeth. She did not want to embarrass me. She didn't want to hurt my feelings. She just needed me to know that, that I was making a fool of myself. She texted me that politely. Yeah. I, I'm not so good at that. I honestly don't even like to tell people when they're wrong. I, I'm always very concerned about people's feelings, and, and this can get me in trouble. I, I frequent a particular subway for lunch, uh, sometimes several times a week. Um, There was this girl who worked there really really nice girl and and, and she waited on me every time and and I'm a guy I don't get the same thing every day. I'm sort of against that I I think you should get something different all the time. So that's me So I just love to mix it up except on my toppings if I'm ordering a sandwich It may be turkey. It might be ham, It might be anything, but the toppings are going to be the same I get everything green except jalapenos Okay? Everything green. So lettuce, spinach, green peppers, pickles, cucumbers, no jalapenos. And I always say that everything green, just, just no jalapenos. Okay? Well, I walked in one day and the girl said, uh, uh, I can do this. So she started making my sandwich. I started putting everything green. And then she got the jalapenos and she got a big handful and went plop. She said, everything green, extra jalapenos, right? I said, oh, I can't. I can't believe you remembered jalapenos. I said that. And I got back to my table and I was so ashamed because I didn't want her to see me picking jalapenos off. But you know, it would have been so easy just to say, no, actually, everything green except jalapenos. But I just, I didn't say it. She was so proud that she remembered. So then I was stuck. I mean, I was stuck. Every time i go in there, she'd say, ha, let me make it. And she'd make it extra jalapenos every single time. And I always go, thank you. You know me so well. Oh. Then God is so good. That subway got bought out. It, it was my only hope. It was my only hope because I'm not learning to like jalapenos anymore with the extras. I mean, so it got bought out. This very kind Indian family now owns that subway, and they're wonderful. And there's this guy named Mike. Again, the the other girl was gone. God bless her. I loved her. She she had such a good memory, kind of. I mean, she was wonderful. So now it's Mike, brand new guy. So the first time in, I get tuna, something totally different. But remember, I like different, but with, you know, the same topping. So I I got tuna. Mike made me my tuna sandwich. I I thanked him. He took my money, all of that. The next day I walked in, remember, I like something different every time. Next time I walked in, Mike says, tuna, right? Oh. Yeah, tuna, tuna. I I just didn't know how to tell him, no, no, no. So now I'm eating a lot of tuna. It it would be so easy just to tell him, no, 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 you're wrong. No, I I appreciate the way you're remembering, but but no, listen, if you really want to, I just don't do that well. And a lot of us are probably like that. When it's time to tell someone that they're wrong, we're very sensitive to their feelings. And very, very sensitive to our words because we understand how easily people are offended, how easily people can become angry or get their feelings hurt. And so when it's time to tell somebody that they're wrong, when it's time to correct somebody, usually we slip into very high diplomatic, high tactfulness, high sensitivity mode. But that's not what Paul does here. Do you see that? This is not what Paul does. When Paul wants to talk about the gospel, which these people have now misunderstood, they're wrong on the gospel. Notice that Paul launches right into him in verse 6. I am shocked. His words are very strong. I am shocked that you are so quickly turning away from God. And within the first 10 verses, Paul is cursing people. In a righteous way, he's cursing people. He is telling them that hell is the place they can go. Read it. That's what he's telling them. He's cursing them twice. He repeats it twice. Hell is the place where they can go if they're going to teach anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is he so strong? Why is he not being more sensitive? Why is he not being more diplomatic? I mean, why is he not concerned for their feelings? Because Paul is not simply correcting people that are wrong. Paul is now warning people who are in danger, and that's a different situation. You understand me? We're not talking about tuna and jalapenos here. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are talking about the fact that hell is the place they will go if they don't get this right. It's the gospel. It is the message of salvation from God, and God is the only one who can give that message. And you and I don't get to change it. We don't get to distort it. We don't get to misrepresent it. I mean, the gospel is the gospel truth. You cannot be wrong on this. So Paul isn't just correcting people who are a little bit off. He is warning people who are in real danger. And when you're warning people in real danger, you don't necessarily worry about feelings anymore. You stand up in their face. You you wave your arms. You you, you shout. You shove. you, You push. You drag. You do whatever is necessary to bring the people you care about out of danger. You understand? Paul is now warning people who are in danger. have to get the gospel straight. So notice verse 4. Everybody look at verse 4 with me. Before he does anything else, Paul repeats the gospel. Paul repeats the message of salvation. Now, if for any reason you're not clear on this, if for any reason you're not exactly sure how a person becomes a Christian or what it means to be a Christian or a believer... If you're not exactly sure, if you are a Christian, if you're not positive that if you died today that you would go to heaven, then I want you to listen to this verse. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it takes to be in a right relationship with God. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us. From this evil world in which we live, all glory to God forever and ever. And let's break it down. Jesus gave his life. The first word of the gospel is Jesus. If you wanted to boil the gospel down to one word, that one word would be Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Jesus. So understand, there's no other name, there is no other way, there is no other plan by which people can be placed in a right relationship with God. It is only through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know that that is scandalous and that is shocking in a multicultural in a very politically correct world. We're not really supposed to tell people that they're wrong. And sometimes people accuse Christians of of, of trying to to somehow present ourselves as being the only ones that, that are right. But understand, this is not about us. This is not our word. This is not our preaching. This is the message that comes to us from God. And it is God who reveals himself to us through Jesus Christ, his son. So... As offensive or scandalous as it may sound, the only way that God has revealed that people can be put in a right relationship with him is through his son Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus gave his life for our sins. He he gave his life. Now, if you read the story of Jesus, or maybe you've seen it in a movie, or or, or you've actually read it in, in the Bible, it sometimes looked like Jesus was some sort of victim. After all, he was taken in the garden by soldiers with clubs and spears. He was arrested. He was beaten. He, he was put on trial several times. And then he was taken by soldiers and, and crucified. I'm telling you, if you just look at it from the outside, he doesn't look like a man in control. However, the scripture teaches us that Jesus gave his life. He was a man in control. He came to the earth knowing what he was going to do. He was going to give his life for our sins. The scripture actually says that God proves his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You understand? He he does that voluntarily. Not a victim, not somehow an accidental death, not a a good teacher who was misunderstood and, and then just killed by his contemporaries. No, Jesus Gave his life. His death was necessary and his death was voluntary for one reason. Jesus gave his life, what does the scripture say, for our sins. See, Jesus is the most important part of the gospel, but to really understand salvation, you need to be very, very honest about about yourself and the fact that you and I are sinners. We sin, and sin is the problem. Understand, sin is the problem. If salvation is necessary, if if our rescue is necessary, it's necessary because sin is our problem. Sin. I know this is hard for some of us because we feel like good people. And honestly, you're in church on a Sunday morning or listening to a sermon on, on, on the Internet. Obviously, you have some sort of interest in spirituality. You're probably a very, very good person. But you don't really understand The standard you don't really understand what it means to to be out of fellowship with a holy God a a perfect God I, I know you're a good person but your sin is still the problem my sin is the problem and the wages of sin is death scripture says where there is sin there is a penalty and the penalty is death so Jesus gave his life for our sins he pays the penalty of death for us therefore we can live this is the gospel Jesus gave his life for our sins, according to the plan of God the Father, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, all glory to God forever and ever. There is no other name by which you can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. He gave his life for your sins. It's very simple and very good news. That God himself has made a way that you can be made in right fellowship with him, that you can have a home with him in heaven. God himself has made this way. And there's nothing for you to do but receive the good news. See, this is what Paul preached. And honestly, this is what I try to preach. And a lot of folks try to preach and teach very, very faithfully. But the problem is the gospel, this simple message, is very, very easily and quickly distorted by people. And Galatians go so far as to say it's intentional. People do this on purpose. They, they distort the gospel. They twist the gospel. They add to the gospel. They turn away from the gospel. Now we're still talking about very, very religious people. We're talking about those who have an interest in salvation, who have an interest in the gospel. But those very people are the ones who add to it. Those very people are the ones who twist it, distort it, and turn away from the only true gospel that Paul preaches here. Do you understand? We, we twist it. Why do we do that? What is it about the gospel that makes us want to rewrite it or, or it make adjustments to it? What is it about the simple gospel of Jesus? Well, honestly, the gospel of Jesus does something that we really don't like. It, it, it forces us to focus on what's wrong with us. It forces us to focus on our sins while at the very same time it negates everything good that we do. Think about it. It forces us to pay attention to the wrong that we've done while negating all of the good that we do. And and there's something about us we don't like being presented in that worst possible light. See, in order to come to Christ, I have to recognize that I'm a sinner. I have to recognize that I'm not worthy of anything from God, that I don't deserve it, that I haven't earned it by being good. And that really makes me uncomfortable, probably you too. There's just a part of me that wants to say, but but wait, I, I might be a sinner, but I'm still a good guy. I, I'm a good guy, and that's what you're thinking probably right now. You're thinking I'm a pretty good person, and I'm saying I know, I, I know. You're saying, Brother Tim, you don't understand. I, I'm a good person. My wife and I, we have people into our house. We like to help people. We're good neighbors. We have barbecues on the 4th of July and invite all the neighbors over. We do that. We're very, very good people. And I'm saying, I know. I know. You're generous and you recycle. I know. I know. You're very, very good people. Your favorite color is light tan. You love puppies. I know. You're good people. We're all very, very good people. And honestly, there's something exhausting about being a good person. I get really tired sometimes of being a good guy. I'm sick of tuna. It's exhausting to try to be good all the time and then to be told that somehow as good as you are, it's not good enough. There's something about that that sort of knocks us off balance, and it's not necessarily a message that we welcome. You're asking me? somehow to forget about all the good things I've done and then come to Christ acknowledging that I'm still a sinner? This is a message that focuses on everything wrong with me and then negates everything that I think is good about me? I know. That's not comfortable. Something about that that that, that I resist. I'm, I'm a good guy you're a good person, I know. But you can never be good enough. Do you understand? As good as you are and as hard as you try, you'll never be good enough. I know. Because Scripture says, All of us, everyone sins, and we fall short of God's standard. you understand? No matter how hard you try and how perfect you think you are, you will always fall short, always fall short. You'll never be the person you were created to be. You'll never be completely honest. You'll never, ever make it. You've already blown it. You've already fallen short. Do you understand? The gospel shines that light, puts that focus on our sin, that's not to shame us. It's not necessarily to, to put us in some horrible place. It is to bring us to the point where we recognize our need for rescue, our need for a savior, our need to be forgiven. Do you understand? You're never going to cancel out the sins you've already committed by being good now. You can't erase it. There's no way for you to erase what's already been done. You can't do it. I know. this is the gospel. that that you need a Savior, that that I need forgiving, that that I am hopelessly, hopelessly separated from God because I will always fall short of his standard. It's not the world's standard. It's not my neighbor's standard. It's God's standard. And his standard is perfect holiness. You can't do that. I can't either. You know, you can't do it. So Jesus gave his life for our sin. It does shine the light for a moment on the fact that you're a sinner, on the wrong that you've done. And it does negate all the good that you've done because the good that you've done is just like filthy rags, Paul says. It doesn't add up to anything that's going to purchase your favor with God because God's already giving it. Do you see? It's already given as a gift. Paul says, I'm so shocked. I'm so shocked that you would so quickly turn away from God, so quickly turn away from the one who calls you by his mercy. Why would you turn away from this good news? Why would you add to it? Why would you distort it? Why would you deny it? Why would you possibly resist this best news of all? What is it about this news that makes you turn away? What is it about this news that makes you want to add to it? And we add to it. We do. People like me, people like you, we add to this. Because we add to it so that it puts us back in control. That's why the old man told me that he thought he probably became a Christian back when he was a little boy and walked down the aisle and shook the preacher's hand. He wanted somehow to tie his salvation to something he did. You understand? That puts him in control of it. And you and I are a lot the same way. We do that too. Some people imagine that that their salvation has to do with coming to church every Sunday. You want to draw a straight line from the things you do to somehow your salvation. It puts you back in control. So you want to believe somehow that that because you're good, it's going to be a different plan for you. That it doesn't require the same amount of forgiveness for you as it might somebody else because you're so good. Because you're so different. Because somehow you do a lot. And God ought to notice. We just love to put ourselves back in control. We like to know who's in and who's out. And so sometimes we'll add to the gospel in such a way where we'll be able to say who's in and who's out. So we might say, in order for you to be saved, you got to be baptized in our tub. understand that puts us back in control that lets us say who's in and who's out and do you remember the gospel comes from God it's not from any human authority and we don't get to add to it we don't get to add our tub to God's plan of salvation we don't get to add our rules We don't get to add membership in our church as a requirement. We don't get to add to this message. We're not in control. You don't draw a line from anything you do back to your salvation. It is a gift from God. It's grace. It's just grace. So if I ask you if you're a Christian... You need to be able to talk to me about what Christ has done for you, not about what you've done. You need to be able to talk about what Jesus has done, the change that he makes in your life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in Him. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, you've got to somehow be able to talk about your belief in Christ, your faith in Christ. And when the Gospel of John says whosoever believes in him, understand it's not just believe like something in your head, like you believe, you know, that Frankfurt is the capital of Kentucky or you believe that you're going to eat Mexican for lunch today. It's not simply something in your head. When the Bible talks about belief, it's not believing with your head, it's believing with your life. There is a turning away. If sin is my problem Then understand I can't escape it I need rescue from it I can't, I can't possibly Rescue myself I, I can't make myself a better man If I could do that I would have already done that I need rescue I, I need a savior I, I, I need that from him And so if Jesus is going to rescue me from my sins, then then, then that means that, that, that I love Jesus. I'm going to walk toward Jesus now, and I'm turning away from my sin. He saves me from my sins. So very, very honestly, in order to be a Christian, I have to want Jesus and I have to turn away from my sin. I can't say that I believe in him. I can't say that I want him if I'm still wanting to live this life in sin. Do you understand? To believe in Jesus is to turn away from my old life and to turn toward Jesus. It's not just believing with your head. It's believing with your life. That's why we talk about repentance when it comes to believing in Jesus, when it comes to becoming a Christian. Understand, you can't do this on your own power. It's not something that you can even do. So we're not saying you earn your salvation by leaving your sin. If you could leave your sin, you would have already done that. But when Jesus comes into your life, there's a change. There's a transformation. Make no mistake, you no longer want to live the old life. You don't keep returning to the old sins because you begin to love Jesus more. Understand? There's a change because you you love Jesus more. There's a great pastor, author named Lee Strobel. who's a very, very good evangelist because he used to be an atheist he did not believe in God did not believe in Christ did not accept the gospel he was an atheist and he was an ugly mean one just ask his daughter his daughter was five years old Lee Strobel says that in his old life he was a miserable and mean person He had a little girl beautiful little girl who saw him at least at one point take his foot and kick a hole in the wall out of anger at her. Little girl puts his foot through the wall out of anger for her. Lee says that it breaks his heart to think about how many times his little girl before the age of five had to hide in her room from him because he was in one of his cussing, angry rages. Little girl hiding from her daddy. But Lee Strobel came to Jesus. He he came to Jesus. He began to believe in Jesus, not just in his head, but, but with his life. There was a radical change because Lee Strobel believed in Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus. And Jesus made a tremendous difference. Within a few months, his five-year-old girl went to her mother and said, Mama, I want God to do for me whatever he's done for Daddy. Interesting. Five-year-old girl could tell the difference. She said, I want God to do for me what he's done for daddy. I just wonder if people looking at your life and my life, if they would say, I want God to do for me what I see him doing in your life. I want God to do for me what he's done for you. When, When people look at your life, do they see Christ like that? Would they want what you have? Would they see joy? Would they see peace? Would they see victory? Because when Christ takes control of a a life, when Christ is on the throne of a life, when he takes control, understand there is a change and there is fruit of that. There's love and joy and peace and patience. And I'm not saying we become perfect people, not by any stretch. We're still sinners, but we're sinners on a different kind of path. And Christ begins to do his work in us, and there is a change, and it's a change over time. And it'll never be complete until the day we die and see Jesus face to face. But make no mistake, there's still a transformation. That There's a new creation. The old things are gone. New things have come. This is the gospel. It's short and simple enough that I could write it on a napkin for you. Believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. Anything you add to that, you understand. Anything you take away from that, you've you've distorted the gospel, and Paul pronounces a curse on anybody who tries to do that. He says, hell is the place you will go. If you do anything to distort this message, it it is the simple message of salvation, that, that Jesus died for your sins, gave his life for your sins, according to the plan of God the Father. All glory to him forever and ever. In, in church terms we just call it grace. I don't deserve anything from God. I don't deserve to stand in front of you this morning. I, I, I don't deserve anything. Maybe I'm a pretty good guy in my own eyes, but those who know me better know differently, and God, who knows me best of all, knows my sin. God, who knows me best of all and who knows my sin, he still loves me. He loves me enough to pay all of the penalty for my sin with his own body, with his own blood. Loves me enough to rescue me. I believe that message. I have believed that message since I was a child. And I continue to believe that message, and it's the message I preach. If you ask me why I believe I'm a Christian, why I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, I just simply say it's because of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus does this for me. My life, I live in gratitude. My life, I, I try to live in humility. My life, I try to live in imitation of Him. But, but with my life, I'm not earning anything from God. Everything I have, I receive from Him. It's from Jesus. I really believe what I'm preaching to you. I just wonder if you believe. I'm not asking if you believe in your head, like you've heard this before and it's familiar and you agree with it. I'm I'm asking if you believe it with your life. If you've ever heard this message and believed it to the point where it changed you, where where Jesus makes an entrance into your life and begins to control and and, and command your life. This is what I'm asking. Not, Not a head kind of belief, but a heart kind of belief. Because the Bible promises... Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm just begging you to believe in your heart, to believe with your life. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus right now, this very moment it may or may not involve you walking down an aisle in just a moment understand that doesn't add anything to it you may wish to come to the altar and pray you may wish to speak with me or have me pray with you but understand there's nothing I can add to it nothing I can do for you this is simply between you and Jesus Christ do you accept do you believe will you let him into your life will you give command of your life to him if you say yes to that if you will believe in Jesus You can be saved. (coughs) Believe in Jesus and be saved. Pray with me. Jesus, it's your message. It's it's your message. And it's your power to save. It's, It's only your power to save. There's not a thing I can add to it. Just preach it. Now, God, I ask you to take that message straight into hearts. Lord, I know that there are hard-hearted, hard-headed people in the sound of my voice who've heard this message before, but in their minds, they've distorted it. They've they've somehow imagined Something different that allows them to stay in control Or allows them to continue to think of themselves as a good person Lord Jesus I pray that you would convict sinners of their sin And reveal Lord to people their need for you Their need for a savior, their need for grace Their need for forgiveness Lord Jesus I pray that you would remove the blinders from hearts So that they can hear the message of salvation and respond Lord Jesus, just ask you to add your power to the message of the gospel today. Save souls. I pray this in Jesus' name, but for the sake of the world, amen.